Good morning, everybody. We're so glad you've decided to worship with us. My name's Alex Barrett. I'm the lead pastor here at Ridgeview, and today we're continuing a week three of our series called uh, Beginning Again, and uh, this picture captures uh, the focus of what we're talking about, and that, that's how do we leave uh, maybe some of the, the darkness of life that we experience, some of the things that uh, kind of keep us holding back from growing and experience the life has for us, and how do we experience do-overs no matter how many times we've messed up, how can we experience do-overs no matter how old we are, and this, this idea, like how can we begin again in different areas? And so, so far, uh, we've talked about uh, two key areas of beginning again, and on Easter, we kicked off the series talking about how do we begin again uh, with all of life, and we focus on the fact that we can begin again with Christ first. Uh, we can connect back to God we can be guided by God. We can get his help. And that's made possible because of what Jesus has done for us. Our sin separates us from God. It causes all sorts of problems for us as we go our own way. But when we decide to follow Christ, we actually can experience this new life. And so that's what we talked about at Easter. That's what we celebrate for Easter. And really, that's what we celebrate every day. And then last week, uh, how many of you joined us last week in Ridgeview in the wind? Yeah. If you're from this area, you know that uh, any sort of outdoor event is always risky, and we proved that to be true last week as we were at the park, uh, but we worshiped together, and uh, we talked last week about how do we begin again despite our past, the things that we've done. Uh, our past can, can kind of get a hold of us like chains and wrap us up and keep us from making progress because we experience shame. Uh, we can experience guilt, uh, but even with our past, no matter what we've done, because Christ has done all that's necessary to connect us back to God. Uh, we can find a do-over and we can move past our past. That's what we talked about last week. So if you missed any of the, the, the sermons so far in this series or you wanna catch up on content, uh, there's a couple ways you could do that. We have a Ridgeview uh, YouTube page. You just search Ridgeview Church Montana. You can subscribe. We also have a podcast, the same. Search for that. Uh, and then on our watch page, you can always catch up. And so we provide this content and our aim at Ridgeview is to provide what the scriptures say about how life works. And then we want to get into God's word, dig out those scriptures, and then put them into practice. Uh, we don't want to be a church that just uh, grows in our knowledge, but that grows in our knowledge so that we can actually live it out in our, in our real life. And so uh, today we're talking about the concept of uh, transforming uh, in our thinking. How do we transform our thoughts about life uh, the way that we have always thought? Now, all of us have assumptions about life and how it works. Uh, we have assumptions when we drive. We have assumptions when we relate to people. Um, how many of you, when you see a stop sign, have an assumption that that doesn't mean stop, that means roll? Anyone? Maybe? And if you're with somebody that stops, you're like, oh, wow. They don't have the same assumption that, that I do. And then how many of you have the same assumption when driving that there is a speed limit, but then there's the flow of traffic, right? Isn't that the, like, no, I'm not, I'm not speeding. I'm keeping up with the flow. That's like the great, let's, let's follow the crowd of speed maniacs, right? Uh, and then, you know, when, when you're younger, uh, some of the assumptions are is you can do whatever you want um, and you're, you're always gonna be okay. Like you can jump off of like the top of a bunk bed and you're gonna be fine. You have an assumption when you're young that you'll always be bendy and flexible. And then like around 30, you step down from a curb and you might twist something, Right? So the assumptions you have when you're younger change when you become an adult. Uh, and all of us have assumptions. But we also have assumptions in a lot of life. 
not just in driving and not just in our youth, but a lot of how we think the way the world works. The thing with assumptions is if we don't change the way that we think, the way that we see things, or the outcomes that we think we experience, we always experience the same results. I'm sure you've heard that the definition of insanity. Anybody want to say that? What's the definition of insanity? Anybody remember? Doing the same thing, expecting different results. I think a better way to say that is thinking the same way. Then you do the same things, and then you get the same results. The reason that we do the same things over and over and over again is because we think the same way. If you don't change the way you think, you don't change what you do. And if you don't change what you do, you always get the same results. Now, that sounds easy. It's like, let's pray and let's go on our way and stop at the stop signs, right? But it's very hard sometimes to change our thinking because we've always thought a certain way. And not only that, you might have been raised thinking a certain way because you saw your parents doing it. And then you might have friends that think a certain way that reinforces the way that you think, and then it's hard to change. And then you get on a social media, and then you watch the news, or you listen to talk radio, you're on Twitter, all sorts of things, and it, the same thinking reinforces the same way that you've always thought, and therefore you do the same things. It's layer upon layer upon layer. And so today what I want to do is I actually want to talk about some of the assumptions that we have. Now, these are not all the assumptions, but these are a lot of ones that cause problems for us in our thinking. So I wanna start by just getting us all on the same page of these are some of the, the lethal assumptions that we, that we all struggle with and we need to watch out for them. Then I wanna end by talking about once we've recognized some of those assumptions, maybe in us, then how can God, through his word, help us to live a different way? But sometimes we have to identify some of those problems, some of our thinking that, that is a little off. Uh, here's just a phrase that I have on here that just is kind of reiterating what I'm saying. The same old thinking leads us to the same place where we do the same old things. I think most people live their entire life like this. They don't want to be on this insane roller coaster of bad decisions. But they don't change what they do because they're not changing what they think. And so let's dig in to some lethal assumptions uh, in our thinking. Uh, here, here's an image that... I thought was helpful. Uh, That's like a ticking time bomb, but it's connected to your heart. It's actually not connected to your brain. The reason that is, is in scripture, your heart is actually the place where you make decisions. Now, you don't have to think about it in organs as much as what it's defined as a category, like your heart. So scriptures say it, it guides you, what you think about, what you say, comes from this place in your heart where you're determining how life works. In your heart, you determine what's important and what's not. In your heart, you have your assumptions and your perspective about how you think life works, what people should do when you do things, and what you should do when people do things. All of this goes on most of the time without thinking. It's just in us. But our assumptions oftentimes can be like a ticking time bomb that we're always maybe one decision away from something blowing up. The problem with that is oftentimes our bad thinking or wrong thinking lets us get away with things for a long time, sometimes decades. And so it may hurt us, and we may not, may not, may not make progress, but 
It doesn't necessarily blow up. What happens is, long enough, if you do things the wrong way, that don't match God's reality, that don't match his views on things, that don't match his values and his priorities, eventually, that fuse that may be long gets shorter and shorter and shorter, and things can blow up. Now, you may be here, and you've experienced some of that. Maybe in an area of your life, maybe you're in your entire life where just the things have fallen apart. Maybe you've gotten a little taste of it, or maybe you've seen it in other people. So today, this is not about being afraid of our lives unraveling, but getting to the point where we see, God, I don't want to keep going on the same path, doing the same things. Will you help me? Will you help me transform the way I think, which can transform what I do? which will give me different results. So let's dig in uh, to some of these assumptions, and then I'm gonna talk about it and kind of walk through the scriptures related to each one. So the first assumption that we can struggle with, and it is lethal, is this. My situation is unique. Now think about that for a moment. Why would this be lethal? Now certainly, we're not all the same. In fact, every single one of us is different. We are unique. Actually, God made us that way. He gave you a certain place where you live, in a certain home, on a certain street, in a certain year that's unique from anyone else. And then he gave you a certain personality, certain wiring, certain strengths, certain weaknesses that's different from everyone else. So certainly you are unique. But in our thinking, when we think my situation is unique, usually what's tied behind that is you don't understand what I'm dealing with. Because you don't understand what I'm dealing with, I can do whatever I want because you don't understand because my situation is unique. You see how just a simple thought like my situation is unique can lead us to doing things by ourselves without any sense of what God may have to say about it. And further, if we disregard what God has to say about something because our situation is unique and he may not completely understand, we also wanna disregard other people because we're unique. Our situation is unique and no one else understands. The scriptures actually talk about pushing against this, and this is Proverbs 18.1. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. If you think your situation is unique and nobody understands what you're dealing with or what you're facing, what you tend to do is pull away in your uniqueness from people because they don't understand What the scriptures are saying is if you isolate yourself, in the end, what you're showing is you just care about what you want. So the lethal assumption is my situation is unique. What I'm really saying is I want what I want, and I don't really want you to ask me about it. That kind of thinking can prevent a lot of problems in your life. Because I don't know about you, but do you believe that there are people that could see problems that you can't see? Yeah. Just like blind spots. It's amazing sometimes when I'm driving with my wife what she sees. And that's actually more about me than it is her. Because she actually pays attention, I guess. Do you see that car? Yeah, I, now. I, I do now. I do now. Maybe after I already merged. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, sometimes, like, the merge happens. I'm like, oh. I keep checking the mirrors. Did you not see that car? I see it now. In life, it's very easy to just assume people can't see what we see because we're the only ones that can really understand what's going on because it's our life. Now, do you see this show up? 
in media, in TV, in movies, my situation is unique, absolutely. It's actually presented as like, this is an ultimate goal. You are unique and you do whatever you want to do. And this is taught to kids at young ages in animated films. But the scriptures say, actually, if you remove yourself from your parents and you just want to do what you want to do, you're going to have a lot of problems. You're seeking your own desire. And then it goes on. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Judgment is there's a right way. Sound is this is actually a right way that works. This will lead to some success in your life. So when you isolate yourself because your situation is unique, the reason it's lethal is there's actually a way that could lead to success in your life and you do not want to go on it. It doesn't make sense. If that's success, I'm going this way. Why? Because my situation's unique. This is a major assumption that we all struggle with. So we need to check that. Second, number two, is if I only had blank, then I would be satisfied. So let's unpack that a little bit. The assumption is I don't have everything I need to actually live a good life. I don't have everything I need to actually do right. I don't have everything I need to actually find the success that God has for me, to live life his way. I'm missing something. So at the assumption, the root of this is like, I'm really not content with my lot, with what God's given me, with where I am, with who I am. I need something I do not have. That's the assumption. Is this in your heart? Because it certainly is in mine. Discontent, lethal assumption. This is actually kind of like uniqueness because we use that to excuse ourselves. It's a little bit different than just your situation being unique. It's actually like, I will do the right thing. I'm planning on doing it as soon as I get that. And since I don't have that, I can't really do what I need to do. When you're a kid, that's like a delayed obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. It's the same when you're an adult. If you wait until you have the one thing to pursue God in his ways, there'll always be another thing that you're missing. I want to read a scripture, but don't put it up yet because I want to set it up, but I want to read a scripture which is an interesting picture. And this is in the book of Proverbs. This is probably like rated a little bit like PG-13, okay? So if you've got youngins, you might want to explain it a little bit later. But this scripture is talking about what happens when you set yourself up for temptation. But the idea is, I'm longing for something that I don't have, and when I have that, I'll, I'll get everything I need. Proverbs 7, 7 through 10. And I have seen, this is talking about life as it works. And I've seen among the simple, simple, open-minded. You ever heard that? Be open-minded? In scripture, that's called simple. You're actually not supposed to be simple. So, and I've seen among the simple, I have proceed among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Passing along the street near her corner, pay attention to who her is, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness, and behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. The word wily there means she's watching. She's watching to see who comes down her street. She's watching to see who can she set up for what she wants. And the simple, the youth, the one who has no sense, sees her as the prize, but actually 
is the prey. It's totally backwards. He doesn't understand because he lacks sense. The reason he lacks sense is because he wants to go down that street. And why does he want to go down that street? Because he wants to see her. And why does he want to see her? Because he has a lot of desires. But it's also a discontentment. I don't have what I want. So I'm going to go looking for it. And the scripture is using this as like a greater analogy, not just to talk about temptation, but to talk about what happens when you get your mind set on the one thing that you want that you can't have. Oftentimes you think you're getting the prize that you want, but instead of the prize, you're the prey and you get trapped. And the scriptures explain this a little bit later in verse 22. Look at that, the picture of this. You could put that up there. It says, all at once he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter. An ox is very strong, right? Or a stag is caught fast, like a deer in a trap. You think you're getting exactly what you want, and you do, only to realize that that one thing that you don't have leads to your destruction. This is the Bible, folks. This is real. If we actually took a hold of this and took this to heart at the warning that this gives, would that prevent us from a lot of bad decisions? Yeah. See, most of the time, everyone wants to deal with the consequences. Counseling, help. It's all about the consequences of our thinking that led us to do the wrong thing. What the scriptures are saying is change your thinking so you don't fall in to the consequence, and then you have freedom. You're not in the slaughterhouse, and you're not trapped. So be careful of that one thing that you want that you don't have that's causing you to not do what you need to do. Does that make sense? We're just, you know, we're just easing in here lightly here. All right, number, uh, number three. This builds on it, another assumption. Uh, it's not right, but it makes me happy. God wants me to be happy. That's not true. Do you know that? You want you to be happy. I want me to be happy. The media wants to make you happy. Because if you're happy, you give money. Money to them makes them happy. Culture wants you to be happy, wants you to feel good. So if you can feel good and you can be happy, it doesn't matter what it is that you do as long as you're happy and as long as you feel good. Very lethal. In Scripture, there's so much more than just happiness. You know why? Because happiness as a category is very limited. It's connected to our circumstances. When you're feeling good, life is good. When you're feeling bad, life is bad. It's a roller coaster. You chase happiness, that's exactly what it is. So you keep trying to find new experiences to make you happy. If you're a parent, you do that with your kids. If one activity will make them happy, 17 activities will make them 17 times more happy. If one used car makes me happy, two new cars will make me even happier. If I can fill one gas tank 
You can't. You will never be happy. You see where it goes, right? It it justifies. All of these are justifications. We're very complex and smart and intelligent beings. God has made us that way. And oftentimes we play games. We play games with God. We play games with each other. We play games with ourselves. And it's in our heart. It's in our thinking. This is going on all the time. And here's what the scripture says. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. This is people who just give in to their desires, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. If you're selling something, what you want to sell is, is this going to make you happy? Can we sell ourselves that? We sell others that? But if it's not what God wants, it doesn't matter. If it's not right, things won't turn out right. You know that? If it's not right, it will not turn out right. Can things make you happy that are not right? Absolutely. But over time, if it's not right, it's not gonna turn out right. If it doesn't turn out right, then you're not happy. But if you keep chasing that, then you look for the next thing that will make you happy. This is why the promise of Christ is so important. Because in him, you can have what you've always wanted, which is actual purpose and meaning. You don't have to chase an appetite to fill you. Are we a culture that's driven by our appetites? Absolutely. From a young age to full adulthood, there's things going on all around us that are enticing us to make decisions, that are enticing us to go a certain way, and it impacts us. We soak it in. But we need to be careful is this helping me serve Christ? Is this helping me align my ways with his ways? If it's not right, but it makes me happy, God wants me to be happy. We need to watch out for that. Okay, another one. This one is a struggle too. What I consume and who I spend time with does not impact me. See how it's kind of tied to my situation, be unique and happiness, right? What you consume, that is the things that you read, the things that you listen to, the things that you spend your time doing, impact you and they impact me. And then who you spend time with actually determines the future of your life. I had a mentor that years ago said, pick your friends, you pick your future. I believe that. Why? Well, look at what the scripture says. 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. Now, anytime the scriptures say this, it's saying, wake up, you're likely to be deceived in this area. So if it ever says, don't be deceived, it's saying, you probably are gonna be deceived. You're gonna struggle with that. It's like a wake-up call. So do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. I wanna speak a little bit to something in our modern era, which I think needs to be said. Back in the day, you just had people that you hung out with, like your friends. And like you could call your friends, but you had one line, and if you had a sibling and they were talking on the phone, all you got was a busy signal. You know what I'm saying? If like you're kind of in the 1980s and before. You get what I'm saying? Back in the day, it was just, you had to just kind of watch 
the friends that you spent time with. Whose house are you going over with? Who are they hanging out at school? I got in enough trouble of my own with different people I hung out with. Sometimes I was the wrong person to those people as well. It happens both ways. But there's also part of this consumption, which is now devices, technology. And now we can get around all sorts of ideas and people from just the things that we see. So the Annie is, is actually raised because we can spend a lot of time virtually in a world which can corrupt our morals. Why is social media, for so much of it, so visual? Well, it, it, it actually pulls at us. And part of what it does is you get on Instagram and you get on devices, you see things that people are doing, you see how people look, you see what people are about. And before you know it, you, you can actually align yourself and they become a reference group for you. This can happen as adults. Can you imagine what young people struggle with? And so young people, I wanna to talk to you a little bit. And parents, you can hear this. Be very careful of devices. Be careful of the internet. Be careful of Instagram and videos. There's temptation now, as you adults know, that did not exist when we were younger. So when I'm talking about don't be deceived, be careful of the content that comes into your home. Be careful of the content that you consume as an adult. And young people, be careful of the content that you look at because it draws you into a direction. And if you're a young woman, it is not real. Social media is telling you to be a somebody that doesn't exist. You know how many filters exist out there? Back in the day, a filter was like, turn on a light for a picture, turn a light off. You know what I'm saying? You know, like, hold it high, hold it low. Chin down, chin up. Like, it depends, you know what I'm saying? Black shirt. Watch out now. I'm wearing black from now on. But um, that's all we had. But now, it, it's just fake. You can touch up anything. But before you realize it, that becomes what you think is normal. Like what a young woman should look like. This is what a young man should do. Lethal assumptions. What I consume and who I spend time with does not impact me. So let's turn the corner. If you want to break the cycle of repeated mistakes, if you do and I do, we have to rethink it. We have to disconnect the time bomb on our hearts. Identify the lethal assumptions that cause it to ignite and we have to pull it off and we have to move forward God's way. These thinking, these thinkings, these thoughts have been with us for years and years and years. So it's not easy, it's not a magic key. Like, just think better, stop thinking that. You ever tried to go to sleep like that? I need to stop thinking about that. And you're like, but what about that and that and that? Before you know it, you just think more about it. But that's, without Christ, that's all you have. It's like, stop doing it. Okay, did you stop? No, but I told myself to stop. You just really need to stop. Okay, stop it. That work? No, I'll just try harder. 
You actually have to rethink it. You have to do things differently. Let's read the scripture together, Romans 12. This is actually one of my favorites. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Sorry, did I miss that? Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So you see, that's where the transformation comes. When he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, in chapters 1 through 11, this is chapter 12, in chapters 1 through 11, he's walking through the mercies of God. And that mercy is found in the person of Christ. Because when we say stop thinking or stop doing, it's all based on our effort. And what Paul is writing in chapters 1 through 11, our effort and lack of effort is what actually causes us to be guilty because we can't fix ourselves. We cannot change. Doesn't matter how much money we spend on something. Doesn't matter where we go. If we're there, the problem's within us. And we need a new heart. And the only way we have a new heart is we have to be forgiven. And the only way we can be forgiven is by admitting that, that we are sinners, we can't fix ourselves. And at that moment, things can begin to change. So what Paul is saying is, is wake up, everyone, wake up. All the things that you've ever thought can fix your life and all the things that the world tells you will fix your life cannot fix your life. What will fix your life is the mercies of God. And when you settle on the mercy of God, what he has done through Christ, he then says you can present your life to him. You can surrender to him. When you understand and accept the mercy that God gives, what you don't need is just to fix it. You don't need to get better. You need mercy. And when you get the mercy, you can change. So God transforms me uh, two main ways. The first is as I present my life up for God's use. And that's the, the first verse. Let's read that again. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, everything he had talked about, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So what he's speaking is Christ was not a living sacrifice. I mean, he was alive, but he died. He actually died for us to give us mercy. Because the wages of sin is what? Death. Because we're sinners, death had to be the payment. That's true justice for a holy God. So what Paul's saying is since Christ actually died, he gave up his life and he rose again. You don't have to die physically in the same way. You just have to present your life. And what it's saying is as a living sacrifice. As you surrender to him. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not all that you believe about God, which is important, but it's more than that. It's actually, I believe God. I believe the scriptures. I believe Jesus, who he said he is. And because of that, I give him my life. I give him my thoughts. I give him my will. I give him my emotions. I give him my soul. I give him my goals. I give him my speech. I give him my attitude. I give him every single thing. 
It's a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We sing songs and it's worship to God. We come to a worship service. But the real definition of worship is every day surrender to God. That's how you worship. You lead me, God. I wanna lead me. I wanna do things my own way. But will you lead me? That's worship. I wanna show a, a little a diagram here which has helped me through the years. Uh, this is what I call the, the, the lordship pie. And most time in, in life, we live our life with us in the middle. It's your life. It's your life to live. You only have one life, right? So the focus is on me in the center of my life. And then you have all of these categories of things that are important. I think these are important to everyone. Now, maybe not Jesus. Not important to everyone. But is money important? Pretty much. Family? Yeah. Career, church, school, community, marriage? No. So some of these may be subbed out for other things, but these are pretty important. Now, for most people, depending on what's going on in your life, with you at the center, you determine how big or how small the slice will be. Does that make sense so far? Now, you may sub out like, okay, I'm not into Jesus, but I am into spirituality. What does that mean? I have no idea. It just sounds like I, what I should say. Like, you know, in our current culture, it's like, I'm not, I'm not specific to anything, but I'm spiritual, which is basically, my situation is unique, right? A little key for you. Okay, so you may change the titles. If you're out of school, obviously, maybe, you know, it's something else. But so notice what happens with self at the center, and you determine what's bigger or smaller. This is the next slide. Now, if you're like a type A person, that will drive you nuts. I should make a sticker with this just to remind us of how skewed life can be. Like, let's say, like, no, I, I'm into, like, there's something God's doing. I'm into church. I, I want to change. And so, like, your Jesus slice is getting bigger. Like, he's drawing you in. That's actually what he does. He draws you to himself. You're like, I just don't know. But it seems like the pastor is always talking to me. And he's getting your attention. You start to want to change some things in this Jesus slice. But then, like, you're looking at the prices of inflation, and you need money. So you're, like, trying to grow the Jesus slice as you're trying to grow the money slice. But to grow the money slice, you got to grow the career slice because you can't get more money with a different career. So then maybe it's like, man, your, your career is growing. Your money is growing. At the same time, you're trying to learn about Jesus. And then it's like, well, I can't give as much time to family because of my career and money. And then because of that, like, it's hard with marriage. And then friends, I'll make time for them because they know I'm unique. And then there's health, and that could be bigger or smaller depending if it's close to New Year's or not, you know? And then, and then like, I want to grow in Jesus, but I don't have time for the church because I got to make money and I got to have, you get what I'm saying? This is the normal approach to life. What this is is still you trying to fix it. Why? You're trying to grow or shrink the slices of your life. But notice how they all impact each other. If you grow one, one gets smaller. How do you deal with that? Now, that's how life works. You give certain time to certain things. But over the, is that, if this was a wheel, do you want that on your bike? 
No. You're not gonna make much progress. So here's what it means to be a Christian and to present your life to God. It's this, the second one. You have to remove the slice of Jesus as something that you're just gonna make bigger or smaller based on whether you're interested in attending church or not. You can't do that anymore. Here's what you need to do. You have to remove the self and go to the next slide there. Instead of Jesus being a slice of your life, he's the center. Now notice who's connected to every aspect of your life. Jesus. This is the approach to the Christian life. You want to do something about money? You do it Jesus' way. Why? He's the center. You want to do something about your marriage? Guess what? You need to do it Jesus' way. And I can go on and on and on. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's not a belief in God that you grow or shrink or attend church or don't. Those things happen. But at the center of becoming a Christian, it's changing who leads you. Instead of you, it becomes Christ. Doing it his way. I present my entire life up for God's use. The reason it's so important, this is the only way that you can change your lethal assumptions. Because you can't try harder. Because you'll always think the same way. You can't do better because you'll always do the same things. If you want to change, Christ can no longer be a slice of your life. He has to be the core. And now he gets to determine what you do in each area. Does this make sense? This is the Christian life. And as a church, we want to go through each of these slices. What does God want for us? What are we supposed to do in each area of our life? So that's the first, present my life for his use. And then finally, what the scripture tells us is let God rewire my thinking. Verse two, it says, do not be conformed to this world. Same as do not be deceived. Do not be conformed. What's happened? There's gonna be a pull where you're gonna wanna conform. You're gonna wanna be cool. You're gonna want to fit in. Cool, it doesn't matter what age. It is a very strong pull. None of us wanna be different in a weird way. We wanna keep up. Want to look the part. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. And it's not talking about just being weird, but don't do it like everyone else does it. You have to live a different kind of life. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. How can you determine what the will of God is? Christ is the core of your life. You read the scriptures. And you see things differently. So that's what he's saying. His Paul's saying, like, you, you present your life. You allow Jesus to call the shots. And by doing so, you say, speak to me through your word. I want to do what you say according to your ways on your terms. And you'll find out that it's good and it's acceptable and perfect. And that the perfect there is, is you won't live a perfect life. It's, there's a wholeness there. Back to that Jesus in the middle your life, it, it all comes together. So the Christian life is a continual. One time you make a decision, like, I'm going to follow Christ. So oftentimes when we celebrate baptism, we ask people, when did you decide to make Jesus the boss of your life? What we're saying is, when is he no longer a slice and he's the center? When did you make that decision? 
you make that decision really once you become a Christian. But just like any commitment, like in marriage, you are saying your vows every day to your spouse. You're saying yes, yes to loving and sacrificing. It's the same with the Christian life. You decide once to surrender your life and make him the boss. And then every day after that, you surrender. So I wanna encourage you every day when you wake up, if you're a follower of Christ, make it a prayer. God, I give you my day today. I surrender to you. Will everything I do, I wanna please you. I wanna do things your way. Will, will you help me? Just say that prayer. That's a prayer of surrender. And then the rewiring of thinking is, and God, help your word to speak to me. If you wanna transform your thinking, there is no better resource to do that than God's word. Even what I've looked at today, do you know how many people, if you were young, and if they taught you these assumptions in high school and how to avoid them, do you know how different our world would look if they just focused on that? Those assumptions and what God's word said, if they stepped into that as young people, their lives would be completely different. I believe that. That's what God's word does. It, it rewires our thinking, which re rewires our choices, which rewires our life and what we do. As I wrap up, I just wanna share, you know, in my own life, this happens all the time. I also wanna say, it's a struggle to get into God's word. I've been a pastor a long time. I've been a Christian even longer. And it's still a battle to read God's word. Because I can be tired, I can be apathetic, I can be busy, I just don't wanna do it. You know why? Because sometimes I also love my assumptions. I like doing what I always have done. There's times when I read God's word where God just helps me and helps me to see things differently. And as you do that, he gives you a confidence. And as that confidence grows, you begin to see like, oh, I need to keep getting in his word because man, there's so many other thoughts out there that aren't helpful within me and from everywhere else I look. So recently I was, just, I was on a walk this past week and opened up the scriptures to the book of Titus and uh, read this scripture in Titus 2.2. It said, older men ought to be sober-minded. My beard was like, was growing out. I trimmed it, but it was like getting grayer. And so I think that means I'm like older now. So now I read the scriptures older. And I'm like, okay, am I, I'm probably in that boat. Of course you're sober. That's really sad when you get to that. Okay, never mind. Okay. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And as I read that and I was walking, I was just thinking about myself and the different things about my life. Like sober-minded, uh, there's like a, a steadiness which is connected to the steadfastness, but uh, you keep your thoughts in check. What's the opposite of sober? Anybody? Drunk. You could say that at church. I asked you, right? Everyone's like, I don't, I'm, I'm not gonna say it. He's making me say it. I'm not gonna say that. Drunk, right? The opposite of sober is drunk. And if you've ever been there or seen that, uh, you really don't have a lot of great sense. You know, your reasoning is not sharp, but it can be the same in our mind. Like we can just take things and we become drunk on the wrong thoughts. I think for me, some of the thoughts that can make me the most unsober are things about the future that have not yet happened. Anytime you're thinking about something that has not yet happened, you're not thinking about reality. Anytime you're not thinking about reality, 
you're wasting time. So as I was reading that, I was like, God, that, that's a good word for me. I need to be sober-minded. I need to check my thoughts, specifically as it relates to the future. And then dignified. And this last week, I've been in multiple meetings, different groups, and numerous times I've said something that has not been dignified. And the word there is, is actually something that's honorable. Like, it, it's helpful. And not only that, but it, it honors God in, in what it is. And I grew up, like, I didn't grow up in a family that were like, we're going to be dignified in how we talk to each other. I grew up in a very sarcastic family. And so for me, it's taken years and years and years and years to undo some of that. But as I was in these settings, it was like God just got my attention. It's like, you need to be self-controlled in your speech. You need to be sober-minded in your thoughts. And you need to dig- be dignified. You need to be honorable in what you say. And so there's just numerous things I just said. It was not necessary, inappropriate, wrong. And God's like, you did it again. I had to confess it to God, confess it to the group, ask for forgiveness. God rewires our thinking as we get his thoughts on our life. If you want to change your thinking, you cannot go around God's word. It is what is needed to change. So if you hear nothing else, you're exploring Christianity, you don't know what it means to follow him, begin to read his word. You could start in the book of Proverbs. It has a lot of wisdom about how life works. But start there, and God will begin to help you. I'm gonna invite the band up as I, as I wrap up, and I wanna just encourage you with a couple next steps. Again, how do you put it into practice? So the first next step is this. Which lethal assumption do I need to watch out for? Was there one when I shared it, you're like, oh man, I do that. Anyone? You don't have to say it. But maybe just ask God, like, what's the one that I struggle with? And you know, make a note, look at that. Read that scripture that that I shared. And then confess and ask God for help where you get into that. He will help you. And then the second, if you've never memorized Romans 12, one through two that I just shared, memorize that. Scripture memory is actually rewiring of your thinking in real time. Where if you realize you're just doing things your own way, you're like, wait a second. I need to present my body as a living sacrifice. That's holy and acceptable and good. So if you have that memorized, it, you can call it to mind in the moment. And that, that really can help. So take a next step. Ask God to show you the lethal assumption. Decide to memorize scripture. Just spend some time on two verses this week and see what God begins to do. But guess what? If you don't do anything different, you'll keep doing the same things. Right? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, which is exactly what we need. It's not just instructive from like a helpful perspective, but it is transformative. It actually changes us. So God, will you help us to make time to engage with your word. I pray for anyone here who has never made you the core of their life. Maybe they're working on growing the Jesus slice, but as they're growing it, they, they just they can't 
fit everything else. So, Lord, will you just show them that today is the day where they could decide to make you the core of their life. We pray that they will surrender their life to you fully. For those of us who've decided to follow you, God, uh, we want to continue in our daily surrender and we don't want to chase worthless things. We don't want to chase worldly things. So will your word help us to pursue the right things? In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.